Hi, and welcome back to the Coffee, Cake, and Kegels podcast. I'm your host, Stacy, and today, Therese Hernandez is my guest. Therese Hernandez's father, Joey, passed away as a result of the mistreatment he received in a hospital here in New Jersey. Therese, her family, and friends are fighting tirelessly for justice for her father's death, along with hundreds of other Americans whose loved ones were treated the same way. This episode is not only Therese's story, but it's the echoes of so many others. Hi, Therese. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, Stacey. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So your story um, really touched me. I was invited to your Facebook group, Joey's Angels, and I cried reading the story about your father. I was enraged. I couldn't believe the way he was treated. And I just knew that other people had to hear your story. So just give us a, you know, just tell us what happened. So he was diagnosed with COVID in September. Uh, Yes, around August 30th, beginning of September, around there. Okay. Anyway. Um, Go ahead. He he was told by his doctor to just watch his oxygen levels. Um, His doctor didn't tell him to take anything, um, didn't give any advice, just watch oxygen levels. Um, If his oxygen got below 90, to go to the hospital. Um, So we did just that, and he... His oxygen got to 92, and he called his doctor back. And the doctor told him to go to um, Monmouth Medical Center, Southern Campus in Lakewood, New Jersey, to get monoclonal antibodies. So that's just what he did. He was, you know, he's like, okay, good. You know, we've heard this worked. So that's exactly what he did. But when he arrived at the emergency room, they asked him if he was there for the antibodies, and he said yes. Excuse me. And um, they automatically asked him, are you vaccinated? Mm. First question. Of course. And he, of course. And he said, no, I'm not. And they said, okay, you need to come with me. And they took him, you know, into the emergency room. And um, they said, you're not a candidate. We can't give you monoclonal antibodies. We're starting you on medication. So he didn't know. So he was like, okay, you know, trust your health care. At that point. And he called and he said, they're admitting me. Um, They told me I can't have antibodies. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, I don't know why, but, you know, you're within the 10 days. And I figured he would definitely get them. So they admitted him, started him on remdesivir. And the first dose is a loading dose. So they give you 200 milligrams. Um, And he was okay. We video called every day. Now, this was September 3rd, he was admitted. Uh, he had his five days uh, from disappear. And after he was done with the five-day treatment, he started declining. They kept they kept us in the dark. We weren't allowed to visit him. He was in isolation. He was all alone. Mm. Um, and they kept telling us his kidney levels were good, which now that we look at his charts, we know they were lying to us. Um. And they kept wanting to put him on the vent, and he kept saying no. Well, by September 22nd, now meanwhile, in between all those days, he was just treated awful. I mean, he had one nurse that 
he told me, he said, this, it was a, a male nurse, and he said, he's borderline abusive. He's nasty. He's mean. It was just terrible. They forgot to bring him food on most days because oh I kept asking him, Dad, did you eat? You have to make sure you eat to keep up your strength. And he said they forgot to bring me food again. And then they would, like, give him a muffin late at night because they forgot to bring him his dinner. Meanwhile, meanwhile, he you said he was, he was like, borderline diabetic. Borderline. And that's the Absolutely. worst thing for a diabetic is to not eat. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so by the 22nd, he called me early in the morning and he said, I could hear it in his voice. It's like he had, like, desperation in his voice. And he said to me, Therese, please, you, you got to call a, the doctor. You got to do something. I'm begging. They need to do something else. Whatever they're doing is not working. I can't even sit up my oxygen tanks. And I was like, okay, dad, all right, let, let me call. So I called the nurse's station and, of course, nobody answered. I couldn't get anybody on the phone. And with that, a few minutes later, one of the doctors actually called me which I hardly, I think I spoke to a doctor maybe twice the entire time he was there. No doctors ever contacted me. Wow. And the doctor said, um, your dad is not doing well. Um, at this point, he was, he was put into the ICU on September 11th because of his oxygen levels. So the doctor said, um, your dad's not doing well. We need to vent him or he's not going to make it through the day. And I said, oh, my God, you know, I talked to him this morning. He's talking, you know, how can it be that bad? So the doctor said, well, you know, we have to make a decision here and we need to vent him. And I said, well, wait, whoa. Like, they were, like, pressuring. Yeah, bullying. Bullying and using fear, yeah. And my words to him was, but a vent on a COVID patient is a death sentence. Am I right? And the doctor didn't answer me, didn't say a word. And I said, you need to answer me. Is it a death sentence? Is my, my father's going to die. And the doctor said to me, um, this is the only chance we have. It's either we do the vent or he doesn't make it through the day. But he was very cold, almost like a robot. Like, that's how old they all were. Every time I talked to anybody, mm. very cold and no compassion. They weren't treating the patient. They were treating covid you know what I mean? Right. Not the individual. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and I said, well, what does my dad say? He he was in the room with my father because I heard my father. And he said, Joe, your daughter wants to know, um, do you want to be vented? And my father said, and I heard him. He said, I'm struggling. I want to leave it up to my family. And I was like, oh, thanks, dad. You know, that's a decision you don't want to make. Of course. So I automatically, you know, said, you've got to give me a few minutes. I need to talk to my mom. I need to talk to my sister. So I got my sister on the phone. My mom lives with me. My parents live with me. And I said, all right, we need to decide what are we going to do? The doctor said he's not going to make it through the day if we don't vent. So my mother said, well, then we have to vent. We, We have to give him all the chances that he has. Now, what do we know? We're not doctors. We're not researchers. We're not, you know, we were just trying to save my father's life. Right. And you felt you were in a moment of desperation. I mean, exactly. And you didn't want to see exactly. him suffer either, of course. Absolutely. So we, I got back on the phone with the doctor and I said, go ahead and vent. Um, 
And I said, can you just please tell my dad we love him? And um, he told him. And he said, Joe, your family said they love you. And he said, um, I love you all. Uh, love to all. Um, and how did he say it? Um, I forgot what else he said, but he said, I love you all. Make sure you know that. Um, a few days prior, I do want you to know that on a video call, he said to me, Therese, I want you to remember one thing. Even in my situation right now, being in this hospital, I still would never get that vaccine. Just know that. Um, I mean, they kept asking him about the vaccine over and over again. It's, and it's written on every single one of his medical records, every page. It says unvaccinated. So they were like really pushing that. Um, so after, you know, he told us he loved us, and they, they vented him. And for the first day that they vented him, they did prone him. That was the only time they proned him was the first day. What does that mean, proned him? Proned him when they turned them on their stomach because oh, it opens okay. up their lungs. Okay. And it really does help, but they only did it for that one day. I kept asking and they kept telling me, well, you know, it's a lot of work to prone them. We need a whole team of people because of the vent. And, yeah, well, if they're a human being, you know. If it's going to help them, you do it. So um, he was vented on September 22nd. And um, every day I would call three or four times a day to get an update. We still couldn't see him. My husband was able to get up there once to get, we wanted to get his cell phone. Mm-hmm. And my husband, they let my husband in to get his belongings. And my husband did see him through a window he wasn't allowed in with him he saw him through a window um and he prayed outside his room i'm sorry it's okay don't be sorry um and he um he just declined um because of the remdesivir his kidneys started to shut down. They had to put him on kidney dialysis. His liver started to shut down. Uh, his blood pressure numbers were all over the place. But every day I would call. Now, I know this from looking at his records. But every day I would call, they would tell me, he's stable. You know, he's stable. Stable, but critical, but he's stable. That's all I ever got from them. Um, until the last day, September 29th, I called that morning, like I always did, and there was no answer. And I kept calling, and they weren't answering. Now, they could see who's calling. So I know they weren't answering because they know it was me again. Right. Um, but I kept trying to call, and I finally got somebody on the phone at, it was like 1030 in the morning. This is, and I was calling from 7 a.m. And I, very, very nasty nurse answered. And she was his nurse. And I asked his, you know, how's he doing? How is he doing today? And she told me not good at all, just like that. And I said, well, what do you mean? What's going on? I need to know. Please 
keep me informed what's happening. Oh, I'm trying to give him blood pressure medication. It's not working. And he's not looking good. Um, yeah, it's not looking good. Do you guys want to come up here and say goodbye? Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay, that's how you're going to say it to me? You know, you're telling me my father's going to die, and that's how you're saying <clears throat> I said, okay, um, you know, my mom didn't want to go up. She didn't want to see him like that. Um, neither did my sister. She said she couldn't handle it. I didn't want my father to die alone. So I, you know, jumped up. I was getting ready to go. I was waiting for my husband. Me and my husband were going to go. And then my 20-year-old son, who was at work, called me and said, Mom, I want to go with you. Um, I want to tell Pa I love him. So I said, okay. I said, well, you know, get home right now and we'll go. And he was, you know, rushing home from where he works. And we were getting ready and we were all ready. And the nurse called me back. No, the doctor called me. And the doctor said, your father's going into cardiac arrest. We're doing everything we can. So we have permission to stop CPR because he's gone. And at that point, I said, please, yes, stop CPR. I don't want him to suffer. Um, and just like that, and that nurse was there with him, with the doctor. I heard her. And he said, um, okay, stopping CPR, time of death, 11.08 a.m. I didn't even have time to get up there, but I think my father didn't want us to see him like that. It's just not how, you know, it's just how my dad was. Right. He always worried about us. Um, so the doctor hung up. He said, okay, sorry. And he hangs up the phone. Um, I call my family and, uh, you know, everybody comes home. I go get my son from school. My husband went to get my other son from school. Um, my 13-year-old, who I homeschool, so he was home. He was um, he was my dad's best friend. And um, I had to tell him. And I said, Anthony, you know, I told him I went to heaven. And he just collapsed. He just fell to the floor and he said, no, mom, not my best friend. I'm sorry. No, I am so sorry for your loss. I just, I cannot imagine having to tell my children, you know, that they lost a grandparent who, you know, my, they, they adore my, yeah. they adore my, my mom and dad. I couldn't imagine having to do that. And I'm just so sorry that you even had to go through this. Yeah. He has, um six grandchildren and they all adored him but um as my dad always said everything happens for a reason even with the bad it comes good <clears throat> and i i kept that in my head and after my dad died we did all the funeral arrangements and after that was done i just had a feeling in my gut something wasn't right 
And that's when I said to my mom, mom, we need to get his hospital record. Something's not right. I don't, I can't, I can't put it to rest. I can't just say, okay, my dad passed. Um, we're going to move on. We're going to, you know, we have his memories. I couldn't do it. There was something inside of me. I couldn't do it. So this was like in my head. So with this, I'm trying to, you know, tie up all loose ends and I'm faxing stuff from my dad's, you know, retirement and all that. And I had to fax his death certificate, um, for his pension, <clears throat> which he died with his pension. So my dad, um, my mom doesn't even get any of that. But I had to go and fax. So I went to the UPS store near my house and I'm standing in line for a fax. And another woman is standing behind me. And she sees him holding the death certificate and we start talking and she said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to pry, but you know, is that, I said, my dad. And she said, oh, may I ask what he passed from? And I looked at her and I said, COVID. But deep down inside, I knew he didn't die from COVID. Right. And she looked at me and she said, oh, my God, honey, I'm so sorry. Um, may I ask, did he have from severe? And I said, he did. And she just, she automatically just started crying. And she said, I am so, so sorry. COVID didn't kill your dad. From severe did. Therese, I have chills. I have chills because your dad, she's an angel. Your dad put her there for a reason. She definitely is. And she looked at me and she said, I'm a registered nurse of 22 years. And I'm actually here faxing my um, paperwork because I was fired because I was against the mandate. And I said to myself, oh, my God, dad, did you just do this? Absolutely, he did. And... She was definitely a godsend. She has been an angel. She has helped us. Um, she went through all my dad's records for us. She separated it into days and she's just, she has poured her heart and soul into it. She really has. Therese, how many pages were his records? Over 7,000 pages. 7,000 pages. Yep. For how many days was he in the hospital? Um, admitted on September 3rd, and he passed on September 29th. Okay, so for not even a month. Yes. 7,000 pages. Yes. Now, I just had, I called the hospital last week um, because we want the medical bills, because we also want that, um, you know, to show the attorneys and everything. We want to see what the insurance companies were charged. Um, so when I called the hospital, I asked for billing and, um, I gave them the information and I told them he, uh, you know, was deceased. He passed September 29th. So the woman was very nice helping me and she said, okay. So she looked up, um, you know, his birth date and the day of death. And she said, are you sure I can't find them? She couldn't find them. Now I was on the phone for like a half hour. She was looking for them. And I said, oh my God, seriously? So she said, hold on, let me just check one more thing. And sure enough, she found them. Not in the... We found them in the discount. Wait, I, I can't... I, you, your voice got very low. So they had it in the discount. Wait, Therese, can you speak louder? Because I, I can't hear you. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. They had it in the 
had his medical records in the discharged, not in the deceased. Oh, that's, that's Yeah, after looking for a half an hour. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we're waiting for those, um, the billing to come. They said they were going to mail them to us. I'm still waiting. Um, but with that, I, I knew that there was something I needed to do. So after I met Gloria, um, we did get, wind up getting all of his records. And I said, you know what? It's not enough. I need to get the word out there. I need people to know. Mm-hmm. So we created our Facebook group, Joey's Angels, um, which is growing like daily. It's growing tremendously. Yeah. So if you're listening, please join Joey's Angels on Facebook. Yes. Um, I started talking to other people who lost members of their family. I also started talking to someone who was a survivor of Remdesivir. And um, she's an amazing person. And she actually started a website called protocolkills.com, which I am a part of her website now also. So, you know, you could check out her website. We have stories, my stories posted on there. Um, There's a lot of stories on there already, and it's growing. It's growing. We get people submitting stories every day. That's really, it's amazing. And I, of course, um, as always, for my listeners, I will link, you know, I will link Protocol Kills. I'll, I'll you know, I'll link the website and everything in my, um, Perfect. yeah, in the description of the episode. What I want to talk about, though, is remdesivir. I want to, yes. I want to, I, because I don't think people really know, you know, um, I know my sister's friend, he, he had five doses and he swears it was a miracle drug that saved him. And that's not the case. That's yeah. not the case. So tell me what you learned about remdesivir. Um, I have learned that, first of all, my, my dad should have never gotten it. A lot of people shouldn't get it. Most people shouldn't get it. Um, especially if you have kidney um, issues. And my dad's kidney function was a little bit off even before COVID. So he really was not a candidate for that medication. It kills your kidneys. Um, it puts you into kidney failure, with which in turn um, fills your body up with fluid and causes pulmonary edema. Which, of course, um, which was the reason why he needed to be... Absolutely. He was declining in the first place. And now, Therese, I know we didn't say, we didn't discuss this, but... They admitted him into the hospital with no no chest x-ray, right? No blood work? Yeah, no, they admitted him right away, even before they did all that. Right, so they didn't even run any testing or anything, even just to see what was going on in his body already. Right. Okay. Right, yeah, they did all that after he was admitted. After they already um, gave him the first dose of remdesivir. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um... So they gave him the remdesivir, and that's what it does. It just it shuts down your kidneys. Uh, shuts, and plus, it's shutting down your kidneys, so your body's filling with fluid, and they're pumping more fluid into your body with all the IVs. You have no way to get rid of that. Now, on top of that, um, thanks to Gloria, she went through all the records. Um, we found out that his hemoglobin levels, were he had like half the blood in his body. He needed blood transfusions. They had no intention of ever giving him blood. They were just waiting for him to die. They never blood typed him to set him up for blood transfusions. Never an intention. 
So that was another issue um, that we are dealing with. Um, also, we found out from the records that the National Donors Network was contacted on September 27th, two days before he passed. Um, and they let the donors, the doctor that called, told the nurse to call the donors network to tell them that his eyes were good for donation. So they already were donating organs that he wasn't a donor yes. in the first place. The family did not give permission and he wasn't even deceased. Exactly. Exactly. A donors network is not supposed to be called until after, you know, a person is deceased. Um, and he wasn't even a donor. So we were never notified about this. So that's something that still um, we need to investigate. So we don't know if they donated his eyes or not, but we will find out. So, I mean, that's just a disgrace in itself. I, I don't even have words yes. to make any sense of that. Um, but as for back to remdesivir, it was used in the Ebola trials. I know yes. I read that. Yeah, I know you had posted something um, about it being used in the Ebola trials, and basically it was not successful. It killed people. Absolutely. And the WHO mm-hmm. stated that this drug back in November 2020, if I remember correctly, and um, if anybody is interested to find information on this, you could always join Joey's Angels. Therese posts things all the time, um, and they are legit it's not just hearsay or whatever it's all legit you know excerpts and articles the who in november 2020 said that remdesivir should not be used to treat covid19 correct and here we are in the united states only still using this drug yeah it needs to stop the protocol needs to stop um we're starting protests outside hospitals all over the country. People are doing it. Um, I belong to several groups on Facebook. Everybody's setting up protests. Um, we're doing one on Sunday. We're starting at Central State in Freehold, New Jersey, uh, Sunday, January 23rd. If anybody would like to join us, bring posters, I will have a bullhorn. Um, we want to make a statement. We need this protocol to stop. We need them to stop killing people for money. That's what they're doing it for. Yeah, because how much is one dose of remdesivir? Um, Off the top of my head, I can't remember. We do have on the website, on Protocol Kills website, um, we do have everything posted per state of how much the hospitals get for remdesivir, how much they get for uh, deaths, how much they get for vented patients. Um, Everything is listed on there. But, I mean, it's in the hundreds of thousands that they get per patient and it is also some of them i'm sorry some of them are over a million wow yeah and it's also a drug that is was um pushed by dr fauci right yes it's a dr fauci drug and we all know his credibility is just exactly top notch so okay so um so what do you, so who, like going forward, you have an attorney, you, but do you have multiple attorneys? Um, we have an attorney. Um, he's actually in Texas, Jared Woodfill. He um, is taking on a lot of cases. He um, has a list. I'm actually raising funds 
to try and get my retainer so that we can actually retain him. But he already told us that he would take our case. Um, he's working with uh, Thomas Renz out of Ohio, and they're also working with Dr. Peter McCulloch. Dr. Peter McCulloch is the doctor who will be reviewing all of our medical records. Okay, great. And people across the country are involved in a class action suit. Yes. Yeah. This is just... Yes, like, we're trying to get a class action suit yeah. started. Yeah. It's just so terrible how people are being treated. And, you know, I understand their, you know, nurses are tired. Doctors are tired. I get that. I totally get that. But yeah. I feel like this has become almost like a moral, like a moral and ego driven issue. You know, where is it, you know, you, you believe in the vaccine. That's fine. But just because someone else didn't get it, it doesn't mean they don't deserve to have exactly. the best treatment. They're still a human being. I mean, an alcoholic goes into the hospital, you know, dying from, you know, whatever, dying, you know, dying from detoxing from alcohol, and they're still treated with compassion and dignity. Yes. You know, um, despite having an addiction. So yes. I just, it just really, it's heartbreaking to me. It's it really, is. And it, it really does make me angry. And I try not to be, you know, I try to just stay I neutral. Know. But it's really difficult because no one deserves treatment like that. No, they don't. And that's my goal. I want to prevent another family from going through what we are going through. No one deserves to feel this pain. Um, you know, every day it goes through my head that, you know, could have, would have, should have. And I know I have to move past that. Um, I do carry a guilt at times. I, I, you know, I really wish I would have known, but I didn't know. I didn't know what I know now. So I'm going to take what I know now and help others because I know that's what my dad would have done. And that's what he would want to have done. And I just think that this is what is supposed to be, you know. Yeah, I agree with you. And I feel that when we go through through things in life, and I've mentioned this on other episodes before, when we go through things in life, we can either let it destroy us or we can turn it around and let us create lessons and ways to teach other people, you know, yeah, so we, you know, we can really turn things around through the sorrows we've endured. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't. We will get justice. We will. Yeah, I know it. I feel it. (laughs) So I know it. I'm, you know, I just, and I really do love um, being a part of your, you know, your group. I've invited people to it. Um, They stay silent, a lot of them, but they're, they are reading. Trust me. My sister, my sister's in the group and she'll be like, I read the article, you know, so she's telling me, but she's, she's just silent, but that's okay. Um, I love your lives. You know, you're just so down to earth and just so real. And I think that's, that's what makes this even more touching is that you're just a real, a real person and you just, your family went through a tremendous loss and an injustice. Absolutely. So, well, Therese, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Um, sharing your story, raising awareness. It really was an honor having you on as my guest. 
and I'm going to, like I said, I'm just going to link, um, if anyone's interested in donating to help Therese and her family, uh, make the money that they need to retain the lawyer. It's www.givesendgo.com, but I will definitely link it for you guys and her group and everything. And please follow, please follow, join the warriors. We're all in this together. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. You're so welcome. And thank you to my listeners, as always, for your support. Have a great day, guys.